Welcome to the penultimate episode of Trans Talks with me, Bramo Mann. In this episode, I talk to one of the most inspiring women I know, Jessica Janik from the East Coast of the US. And we talked about how things feel for someone who transitioned two decades ago and how those things might have changed over recent years. Also, we talked about changes in how people express their prejudice when they're unable to do so, particularly amid the very hostile politics in the US and the UK at the moment, not just for trans people, but for so many people, and how that might impact our very futures. So without further ado, here's Jessica. Jessica, hi, it is so good to speak to you in person. Yeah, likewise. It's really exciting to see you here. Thank you so much for taking part. Of course. Um, Would you like to tell me, and via me, everybody else, a little bit about yourself? Like, what do you like doing? What do you do for a living? Or anything that you feel is relevant? Well, I guess a little introduction. Um, I'm Jessica Janik. Um, I currently live on the East Coast of the United States, uh, in the Boston area. Um, I've lived all over. I most recently lived on... um, the west coast of the United States in the San Francisco Bay Area. That was a recent move. What I do for a living, I am a software engineer at Google working on um, the Angular web framework, if you've ever heard of that. Um, it's new to me. <laughs> it's a, for, for web devs uh, that listen to this, they'll know what, what it is because it's been around a long time and it's very widely used across the world. So. Okay. Um, and and that, that job puts me visibly in front of a lot of people. So I, I do a lot of public speaking for work. I do YouTube videos for work. That's really interesting because a, a lot of programmers typically don't interact with, you know, the public or right. other people particularly. So that's interesting to hear that you're, that's part of your job. Yeah. I mean, it's part of my job because I chose it to be part of my job. Um, cool. Uh, I've worked in other uh, engineering roles where it's just been pretty bog standard. Like, you know, I, I write code, I work with uh, product managers and product owners and, and like fix bugs and stuff. But um, I actually have a public speaking degree. So, for, and I, I started my career uh, not being an engineer. I was, uh, I worked in video. Um, like, I'm a self taught engineer and found my way up to Google serendipitously, I guess. Um, I feel lucky to be where I am. Um, but that gives me a very diverse set of skills that allows me to be more comfortable in front of people and yeah. be more creative in a lot of ways. I should imagine you're, you're probably quite in demand in, in a way, in that sense. I, it's weird. Now, nowadays when um, I get uh, asked to speak or like I say yes to something, they're like, oh my gosh, it's so great. We were so excited to have you. And I'm like... <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm just an, an engineer. Like I did, it's not a bit, you know, it's, it's weird. It's weird. Cause I, I am certainly not the best engineer I know. And it's just so happens that I step up in front of people and talk a little more often. So mm-hmm. I guess aside from my job, things I do for fun, I, um, famously, am known for being a droid builder. I built 
R2-D2 over seven years. Um, I could have done it faster, but I didn't really have the space. I've, I've been watching the progress of that online, and it has given me so much life <laughs> to see R2 <laughs> piece by piece come alive. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> the, uh, the, the sense of joy and hit of dopamine when I saw R2 driving around for the first time was, was pretty up there on my list. <laughs> I also do, um, although I'm out of practice at this point, historical fencing. Um, I do some cosplay here and there. Uh, I play video games here and there, though not as much as I used to. Um, Too busy building drawings. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, pretty much. <laughs> Fab. Thank you. Um, I mean, this podcast is, it, um, I've interviewed a wide range of um, gender identities under the sort of trans umbrella, some of them further out and some of them more more closely identifying as trans. Could you tell me about your gender identity? How do you identify? Sure. How did you get there? So at this point, I mean, I am definitely a trans woman, um, yeah. but the trans label for me kind of falls into the background at this point in my life. Um, mostly I'm just like, yeah, whatever, I just exist as a woman in this world. But the trans stuff comes up here and there. Well, more so recently. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> For me, like I came out over 20 years ago yeah. and began my transition over 20 years ago at this point, almost, I think, 22 years ago. So um, at this point, like over half my life, I've lived authentically as I am. Yeah. And with that, I guess a lot of the, the memes and the, the things that happen within the trans community, I'm so disconnected from now that when I see them, I'm like... What, why is that a thing? Mm. Why are we talking about pickles? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I kind of get where you're going. This is going to be really, really interesting. Actually, um, I, the only other U.S. Um, person I've spoken to is another woman who lives in Missouri, and she, I think, transitioned probably about five years before you, maybe. Um, mm. And I'm about five years after you. You know, like, we're all kind of the old school now. And <laughs> it was a very different time. Like, most of the other people I've interviewed are all very young, in their early 20s, um, you know, up to 30. And there is a definite difference. I've been feeling like I'm... Like, I'm finding a whole new part of being trans. In Obviously, the last five years, a lot has been changing. And like you said, I think that the ideal for, for us who transitioned that long ago was just to present, you know, in, embody our womanhood and forget all this trans stuff once we've got past all the messy transition. Mm -hmm. But I feel lately I've kind of reclaimed the trans bit of my identity. I think that's kind of what's inspired this podcast, really, just by being around young younger queer people and realizing that actually just labeling myself a trans woman is almost a political thing mm -hmm. now and like I kind of want to do it in a kind of almost activist way even though it's like the, the, the wrong way really of thinking like surely we should be just trying to like keep our heads down um but yeah I don't know um anyway sorry I completely <laughs> interrupted your flow there no I mean I I, I agree um, with everything you're saying there, uh, I've never really like hid the fact that I'm trans. Um, like yeah. I just don't necessarily, like I don't lead with it. Like if people ask me, I'm like, well, yeah, Google me, you'll find that out. Like <laughs> I, in fact, I operate under the assumption that people just know, yeah. um, because I have assumed that the people I've been around either have just 
found out or I've told them or I've had colleagues at past jobs that like they all find out because one person Googles and then it gets passed around and like, yeah, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't matter as long as it doesn't impact the way people uh, treat me. Um, yeah. But it also, I'm not hiding it. Uh, like I, I'm, I've never hidden it. I'm not ashamed of it. So, nor should anybody be ashamed of it. <laughs> so, um, put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. It just doesn't like it. It should never have any real impact in my day-to-day work or life. And so yeah. I just, yeah. I'm just a person. I think that there is a thing about like how much does our gender identity define us, you know, and I, I, I found for the first five or six years of my trans life, it defined me a lot because it was a lot harder work. There were loads of things that were happening in transitioning and so on. But once I got past that, it stopped to really feel like anything important. Like you say, it's not really an issue when you introduce yourself to people. Um, with me, they almost always can tell, especially once I start speaking. But like, it, it, it's never really impacted. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely there is a thing about like how much does it define us. Mm-hmm. And I feel as the political climate has changed, I feel like that kind of has become part of me again. I've become more active and sharing more trans stuff on social media and having long conversations with people. And it's like, oh, this reminds me of 15 years ago when I had to explain it to everybody. Um, yeah, <laughs> I can relate to that. I think for me, when I I, I have described it as when you first come out, it is a big part of who you are because you have just kind of embraced yourself for the first time. And yeah. it's like bubbling out of you. You can't hold it back. Just, you just want to tell everybody. And um, I found that during the first five years post coming out and transition and stuff, I was doing a lot of activist work, like running a website, which like my blog still exists. It's... Wow technically been running for like that whole time i just don't write in it very often anymore um like i was i was speaking all over the midwest and in the u.s wow at that point um about trans stuff yeah yeah wow god (laughs) you just blew my mind (laughs) yeah i was i was more of an upfront uh open like figure at that point um like i still technically own translife.net but i haven't I think it just redirects to my personal website because that was my website back then. Yeah. Like I was like, I was so frustrated twenty plus years ago that like there were no centralized resources for anybody mm-hmm. who wanted to understand what being trans was. So I made that website. Yeah, um, I think that's may, that may be how I found you in the first place. I think I can't remember how that we could have been. Could have well could have been. been. Um, and what's funny is that was a hobby as I was going to school for other things, but ended up turning into my career. So. <laughs> a beautiful, like, alignment of, you know, progress. Yes. <laughs> um, were things, I mean, obviously things were different back then. How was it? You, like, if you were speaking to people and, like, introducing people to the concept of what being trans was and writing blogs and online articles about it, um, how how was the climate back then um, compared to now, for instance, in, in the U.S.? Um, back then, there was, like, I would say that the hostility that you see now is obviously absurdly huge. Hmm. Back then, the same people existed, but their voices were far smaller. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, for the most part, 
people people who came to hear me talk were kind and interested in learning, even if they didn't agree with anything I was saying. They were never rude to me. Mm. Um, and uh, I often got a lot of positive response from people. So were they just like members of the public or how, how would they have... Yeah, a lot of times it was at universities. And okay. so university mentality is typically more open-minded and draws a different kind of crowd. So that's probably a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think when things got out into the community more, you'd see more of the negativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the most negative thing that ever happened to me was when I was in small-town western Wisconsin, um, which is where I went to college, um, a little town called Eau Claire, Wisconsin. It's uh, a college town, but also not, not the biggest city within the state of Wisconsin. And I had a friend who was a teacher at one of the local high schools, and she shared information about her friend like as a like a thought yeah. thing like i don't want you to like ask questions or whatever this is just a a person this is my friend this is her story thought like like have like think about it you know and one parent got super upset um and i don't remember if they wanted her fired or if they wanted something um but we organized a protest of that person um, and their response that got a lot of attention. And mm -hmm. there ended up being a radio program where both the parent and I was invited on. The parent refused to participate. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. So they got me instead and um, on local public radio. So, oh, there you go. That's like that backfired for them, whoever they yes. were. Uh, it just it, like at the time, it played into my um, my view. At the time, was people know these are terrible opinions, and they are not willing to stand up for the things that they're saying because yeah. they're they're aware that they're prejudiced. Mm -hmm. Obviously, here we are now in 2023. Um, I think now people still know they're prejudiced, but they are much more bold behind yeah. their statements. So. Yeah. Well, the, the prejudice has been so normalized by, I mean, frankly, our leaders mm -hmm. um, and by mainstream media, but particularly leaders. I mean, uh, well, the US and the UK both had sort of parallel yeah. leadership that just came at an awful time. And well, any time would have been an awful time, but they are almost singularly responsible for normalizing a lot of this. Yes. Um, yeah, we are where we are because I, I still blame Trump um, yeah. because without Trump, your, I think the UK would not have followed the same path. No, no. I mean, I think we've got a slightly different thing because we've got this whole kind of like rad femme thing going on here, which was really quite strong already. Um and Boris Johnson, uh, you know, he he was much less effective in a way at normalizing. In the same way, Donald Trump was very subtle from our perception over here. I don't know whether it's right. I mean, he, he's not a subtle guy, but like he was quite good at just like, hey, this isn't me, you know, but hey, 
do what you want, say what you want kind of thing. I'm not going to tell you to go and march at the White House, but, you know, you can <laughs> secretly. Whereas I don't think Boris Johnson was kind of clever enough. God, I'm giving Donald Trump a lot of, like... Yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure about maybe. I don't, maybe it's the team. Who knows yeah, where it comes from. I've never really thought of Trump as particularly clever. Like, okay. I think... I like our the perception over here is that he's he's kind of a bumbling idiot. Okay, that's, um, that that's more. happens. Yeah, he has a lot more money and 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 like gave a bunch of uh, people who um, were already like angry and upset at minority groups and blaming the minority groups for all their problems, and like the bumbling idiot that that Trump was ended up enabling all these other bumbling idiots to be yeah. able to speak up. And, like, the thing that happened on, like, the, the insurrection on January 6th, I think, was enabled by the language that Trump was using in a very insidious way. Yeah. Where you couldn't look at it and say, um, he is telling people to do this, but he also very clearly, insidiously was planting the seed and yeah. specifically not saying to not do it. So. Yeah, exactly. I think that there were some marches earlier in his presidency in the South with like the, you know, the tiki torch things. Yes. And like yes. he managed to sort of detach himself from that in terms of blame. But like you say, it's like he's enabling that kind of behavior, yes. which yes. has gradually then filtered through to enabling lots of governors to start saying, well, no, we're going, we, we can do this. We're going to do this. We're going to stop this, you know, yeah. in its tracks, which I don't think we're quite there yet. Maybe because Boris Johnson wasn't like he is very similar in that he's bumbling and he's rich and he's just had a privileged life and everything. Um, he... He had sort of won the hearts of a lot of people before he became prime minister, um, probably in the similar way to Trump had. But what we've been left with is like, it's like you're describing this kind of legacy of like, of enabling. Um, and yeah. uh, his party now are still in power and they're just pushing things through. But like I said, we did have this other aspect with, I mean, it centers around JK Rowling. Obviously, she's like a big she's a huge icon, you know, a hugely powerful voice on Twitter. She was a hugely powerful voice on Twitter, not so much now. Um, but she has, in a similar way, enabled a whole movement um, accompanied yeah. by several other, like, journalists and writers and celebrities who have, like, sided with that. And she d right. did it again in a very subtle way where she wouldn't deny, but she wouldn't admit to anything either. Um, yeah. But it was, e it was enough to... Yeah, yeah um, I think, and unfortunately, her opinions have also influ influenced political views yeah. here in the U.S. too. Like, her statements have been cited uh, in yeah. state legislatures here. So, I mean, it's, it's mind blowing how she, who was very much like Labour, which is our equivalent of um, you know the left, although they're not very left now. Um, she was very much like you know anti-Trump and really outspoken about Trump and anything to do with the, our conservative party and yet like this one teeny tiny issue really you know it really affects a very very tiny minority of people has become this thing that's sort of blended her from her left stance to all these people on the far right and it's none of it makes very much sense to me <laughs> yeah and like unfortunately i think in a lot of ways 
uh, the like leftist response that has come from um, a lot of us trans folk and queer folk in general has not helped. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it, and f- unfortunately, um, we there is a very vocal portion of our community that can be very abrasive and and not be very productive in communication. Yeah. And I think that has actually galvanized um, the folks like J.K. Rowling, mm-hmm. made them dig their heels in further. Yeah. And I think that's the, the predicament we're in right now. It really is. It's like a tug of war. Yeah. Not to say that like, we, we can take the blame for anything. Like, that's that's absolutely not the, what I'm saying here. But, like... No, I totally get you. Um, yeah. It was just a situation where maybe there was a way we could have handled it discourse-wise that... Mm-hmm might have been able to subvert some of the worst of this, but... Um, I think when you're being pushed into a corner, as it feels yeah, like exactly. we are, it's really hard to react in any it's other really way. It's really hard. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, I'm the most, like, quiet, underspoken person, or at least I was, you know, and for the first 10 years of being trans, I was like, you know, I always said, oh, I'm never going to be able to be an activist. For that very reason, you know, I just wanted to be a silent activist in the way that I live my life and I try to do good mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But the last five years, that's all gone out the window. And I'm now like, yeah. you know, sharing outrage things and trying to talk to people and making podcasts, you know, like in my spare time that I don't have to <laughs> to just try, like give us a kind of a little bit more of a, like a human voice. And yeah, that's, I think that's kind of what's missing from a lot of the discourse. I think for those people that know me more on social media, like Facebook and, and whatnot, you know, old people's social media, <laughs> um, they, they may know me historically as someone who posted silly, funny stuff. Yeah. And like puns and jokes and stuff. And... That's all gone out the window. Like yeah. right now, I don't I don't post much, um, and when I do post, it's typically unhappy stuff about what's going on with politics. It's hard not to. <laughs> and and like here in the U.S., we have two political parties because we don't have ranked choice voting, yeah. and we have one political party that is supposed to be the left party, but really is center right. Mm-hmm. That is doing nothing. Um, and and then we have this uh, far-right party that has been continually, inchingly moving more and more right. Yeah. And their open policy now, written on paper, is to end transgenderism. Um, it's like... like they are, they are uh, actively saying now that they plan, if they are, are elected in a majority, to essentially remove all of our rights. And yes. that is not even a question anymore. They're just saying that, and it's going to happen if they win the, the presidential, presidential election and majorities in both houses. It's terrifying. So, Absolutely. Like, how did we get here? I know, exactly. Like, like I literally just bought a house, like, a week ago, and... I'm sitting here going, do I get to live in this house for very long? Yeah. Do I have to find a place to go? Where would I go? Yeah. Where Where is safer? Well, this is the problem. I mean, there's a journalist over here called Owen Jones who's um, very young and a gay, you know, openly gay uh, writer. Um, and he writes for The Guardian, which is like our kind of one of our last surviving <laughs> yeah. left left-wing press most of the time um and he shared something on his socials the other day about like 
all across Europe, this is happening. And what you've just described about the right moving further right and the left moving centre right is exactly what's happened here. Like our Labour Party are so over towards the right now and we don't have any other options. There are other parties in the UK, but there's no way any of them are going to have a chance of getting you know any kind of majority. Um, and yeah, there are several other countries in Europe, an increasing number of countries in Europe that have it. And really, you know, the US and Europe were kind of, uh, including the UK, because we're still sort of part of Europe, um, are kind of, God, why, why another whole debate for another <laughs> night? Um, like, those were the places, you know, where it was possible to live authentically and have that kind of inverted yeah. commas freedom. Um, and that's starting to disappear. What this is, this, and this is what Owen Jones, this journalist, was kind of saying, where. This is a dark place. And, and the, the, the worst thing about it is how normalised a lot of this has become. Mm -hmm. Like, well, yeah. The fact that it's now, like you're saying, it's part of the Republican policy to just, you know, removal of all transgender people. What does that actually mean? You know, th this all sounds horribly familiar. Um, what I've also noted um, talking to people is, like, people are aware to some, like, cis folk, um, like straight yeah. cis folk that are not at all plugged into the LGBTQ community are are aware that there's like some anti-trans stuff happening. <laughs> and like uh, I mentioned to a friend last week, I'm like, you know, I, I am worried about my long-term safety. And they're like, oh, well, w you know, where you are in Massachusetts, you'll be fine. And I'm like, yeah, not so much. Like... <laughs> Uh, that I said uh, I had to explain to them that like this is where things are and the trends of what's happening and that in a year mm. my rights could be gone. So, and they were like, "Oh my God!" I had no like they they didn't know. And it's very clear to me that um, those of us who are in the community are paying very close attention and are very depressed and scared and and which is their goal, like the goal of the the far right is to make us feel this way and they're succeeding yeah. and um, that most everyone else is just kind of blissfully unaware exactly what's happening. My, my family, um, so I have a couple of sisters and they were recently at Disney in Florida and my, both my parents were down there and they're like, oh, we should all come down here. And I was like, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but uh, I can't go to Florida. And they're like, well, why not? And I was like, two do not travel warnings were just issued. Um, I can't use public restrooms anymore down there. And like now they're kind of aware that like this is the reality of what's happening down there. Um, mm -hmm which may actually get, um, like, my dad to not vote Republican. We'll see. He's always yeah. been a, a right-wing person, despite being supportive. Yeah, I was going to so, say, has he always been... Did your family, you know, were they... Have you sort of stayed close with them throughout the whole... Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, my immediate family and, and a lot of my extended family are all wonderful people. I've I've got a few... Um, extended family members that are fairly um, evangelical, and mm -hmm. I am not really associated with them anymore. But for the most part, um, my immediate family—well, my my immediate family absolutely is supportive. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to worry about that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this whole thing is is also like we are 
It's another very sneaky move, I feel. Whether this is all preconceived or whether it's just happening, that we are this tiny minority and like these things are happening to us and, and starting to happen to us more and more um, in in a wider area and with more restrictions and so on. Um, but like you said, a lot of uh, people who aren't connected to LGBTQ issues or specifically trans issues aren't necessarily aware of this and it is like this insidious move to this point and is that strategic so that like because I think what Owen Jones again this journalist I keep hanging on to him because he's the one of the only people who's still speaking who isn't trans you know who's like speaking out on our behalf is saying you know it's starting here but be aware that it's going to affect more and more minority people. Okay, you know, you might not know many trans people and you might think, well, what's the big deal? Um, what can they do to trans people really, you know? <laughs> um, but it wasn't that long ago that the same thing was happening to gay people. And I've actually noticed a lot of my gay friends um, and lesbian friends have become a lot more vocal and a bit more activist, you know, picking up on that, like, yeah. oh, we're back here, are we? You know, like, oh, it's going <laughs> to... My perception is, I mean, there are so many parallels to, like, you know, 1930s Germany. Yeah. Um, like, obviously, the the LGBTQ folks there were the first targeted. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening here. I see a very much parallel. Mm. Um, I am fairly certain that that's the direction we're headed in. Yeah. And... Unfortunately, Biden is such a terrible candidate on the Democratic side. Is he is he going to be the next Democrat? Is he, <laughs> he likely to be? The the way that it typically goes is the incumbent becomes the the nominee. Right. Uh, so he and he's already announced that. But let's be honest: nobody who is a Democrat wants him to run. Hmm. Nobody really particularly likes him. <laughs> we all voted for him because. There was no other alternative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I will certainly do that again if I must. But the question will be who will become the right-wing candidate. Will it be Trump again or will it be DeSantis? And DeSantis is scarier because yeah. he is not as bumbling as Trump. Yeah, he seems, not that we see a lot about him, but he does seem to be very much more like getting things done. Yes. This is what we're going to do and we're going to do it. Yes. And his platform so far has been to end wokeism. Like, yeah, that is his yeah. goal. And Which, what does that actually mean? You know, just saying right. that, like, right. to have taken the term woke, which meant, you know, as far as my understanding was about, um, you know, anti-racism. Anti-racism, is that where it kind of originated? I, it I think kind that, of started there. It means more than that, but yeah, yes. It, it means, liber you know, whatever it means. Um, and to just condense it into that one little word yeah. and turn that into like a little catchphrase that we want to get rid of, it makes it sound so innocent. <laughs> I firmly, I mean, this, this has been slowly building since the 1980s. Mm -hmm. So that much we know. Yeah. Um, I thoroughly believe that the reason that we're in the predicament we are right now is because um, in the U.S. there was something called the Fairness Doctrine that in the mid-1980s when um, President Ronald Reagan was in office, they eliminated it. The Fairness Doctrine required news organizations to give equal time to different positions. Okay. And eliminating that allowed for Fox News to exist as it does now. 
Wow, right, okay. And so over time, we've seen these extremist news organizations grow and grow. And then, like, Fox News rises, and then, like, uh, like OAN and, like, the other far-right uh, news organizations are, are here, and now they can just outright spew blatant lies. Yeah, yeah. And that is where it all started, was back then. Okay, yeah. And... So we've seen this slow trickle towards the right for 40 years almost. Yeah. And that's how we ended up here. So I firmly still blame the media for, it's funny, they use the term indoctrination for the, the, the like, having rainbows in a school is indoctrinating. And yet, meanwhile, they are legitimately indoctrinating their viewers yeah. with this, like, um, ridiculous content that they keep been putting out. <laughs> yeah, fake news. Oh, <laughs> it's rooted in white supremacy, um, yeah. and yeah. a lot of it seems to have been funded by Russia, which I think is an interesting long game played by Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it's a d- different Cold War. Like, the Cold War ended, and then Russia started funding these things, and now they've kind of destabilized the whole world. Yeah. with extremism. So it feels to me like the U.S. is going to turn into the equivalent of, uh, like, essentially where Afghanistan had been with the Taliban, yeah. and except for with this Christian nationalist yeah. version of it. Yeah. Um, uh, that is, that's a definite difference in in that we don't have that Christian aspect over here. There's a lot less kind of um, weight on religion in this country. Not to say there isn't religion here, but it doesn't play such a big part in, like, politics, which to us over here seems like, what? No. <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen. Well, what's what's even weird is that, like, trending here in the U.S., religion is, like, dropping. Like, uh, more and more people are abandoning religion. Um, and, like, this religious Christian nationalist uproar is really like a a vocal minority, but they have so much power due to this media situation. And then they've also manipulated both the, um, they've gerrymandered the districts within many of the red states to make them permanently red. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have like abused certain, like, if you recall the whole Supreme Court nomination within Obama's last year, that was a travesty. And then all of the judges that Trump put into office that would not have been a case if we had picked a a better candidate back then, all of this is the direct result of, like, right-wing manipulation and also the Democratic National Party just being terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I, feel, I mean, we're really feeling things over here. And, and I definitely, I keep a close eye on what's going on over with you because there is definitely parallel. Of course, there are differences, but it's all moving in the same direction. Gosh, what a, a rabbit hole we've been down. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I keep finding myself thinking is like, okay, so we've got all these trans youth bands. It is a stepping stone. We know that like their goal they've openly stated it on stage in uh, mouth words that uh, they want to end us. Mm -hmm. Um, So we know that they're going to next step will be to do adult bands. 
yeah. banning all of our access to gender affirming care, what then? Yeah. What happens? Yeah. I think this is it. It's like the, with the youth, you know, trans youth, they're not going anywhere, you know, and right. we've got like TikTok and Instagram are kind of like marshalling grounds for trans youth and it's a huge community and it's growing daily in almost mm-hmm. like a kind of a pushback kind of a way. I used to be a, a teacher and while I was teaching, I only finished teaching about two years ago and during that time I didn't really come across any much in the way of queer because there were a couple of gay kids in our school and there was one trans kid but through them and my kind of continued connection with those young people as they've left school and gone on to uni you know there more and more of them are, are like coming out as queer in different ways or their friends are or and it's just like almost like a default thing among a young you know group of young yeah. people so they're not going to be erased you know you might put some obstacles right like that's one of the things I was going to talk to you about, and this is maybe something that we can compare from back then. Like, there there will be obstacles now, but like, were there obstacles back when you transitioned? Like, how how was it back then, twenty years ago? That's a, before I get to that, I just want to say that it's very heartening to see this with the youth. Hundred um, percent. And some people have suggested that like there is going to be a flip back away from this far-right mentality because of this younger generation. Yeah. And while I agree, I think it's going to be at least 10 to 20 years. Yeah. So in the meantime, we're going to have a really rough go at it. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been sitting here going, do I need to learn chemistry to synthesize my own hormones? Because yeah. I suspect that in the next two years, my access to it will be removed. And in that situation, what do you do? Because we need those hormones to be able to exist. Otherwise, our bodies will start to fall apart. Yeah. It's like people don't realize that, uh, one, that once we transition, it's not like we're done taking these hormones. And two, that our bone density requires that we have them. So like, yeah, yeah. We, we need something in our system and how do we solve that problem? So that has been in the back of my mind. Do, do I need to start figuring out how to make this stuff myself? There will be an, an underground, you know, I sure. mean, the, 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 there'll still be production anyway, because of menopausal women, you know, we, we share this medication with, sure. with other people. So we'll still be there. And I, I remember back when I transitioned there were many options for, like, a legal acquisition of hormones. Um, I was privileged to not have to go down that path, and I had to pay to get private health care over here. Because where I lived in Wales wasn't doing any, you know, we have the NHS, but that wasn't recognising um, trans treatment at the time. It did a few years later and still does. But at the time, you had to either pay and go privately, um, which was very expensive, but I managed to do it. Uh, like, I managed to, like get what I needed um, through my privilege. Mm-hmm. But but there were many who were just buying online, you know? And yeah. is that so, does that still go on? Um, could it still go on? I think it does. I think it does, and I think it will. Um, mm. We will see how strongly it will be policed. Um, I think it will yeah. depend on which state you live in, because, like, here in Massachusetts, we are one of those states that has, like, protections. Yeah. So I can see the um, this particular state being very protective of of people who live here but that's a future problem that hopefully we don't have to worry about but thinking about back then i was also fairly privileged in that regard um i didn't like grow up 
rich or anything like that. Our family yeah, was very same. much, very much in the like firmly in the middle class, mm-hmm. and I was able to get um, like gender affirming therapy through the University of Minnesota because I was very close. They were like, if if you recall, the Harry Benjamin standards. Yeah, yeah, we had that. That it was here as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those were created at the University of Minnesota. So I would go to that same university to get my um, therapy and like get my hormone approvals and stuff. And then I was lucky enough that the insurance I had did cover some of it. It wasn't cheap. Like I'd be paying a copay of like $45 in some instances, which wow. which is a lot um, for a copay. Uh, I have some kidney complications, so for me, the only choices I really have are patches. Yeah. Because, um, like, the high doses you have to take through um, the pills or injections can do harm yeah, to yeah. the kidneys. So, yeah. so um, I've always been on them. Uh, and the, the problem there is that for a long time, there was only one brand. They didn't have a generic of the patch. <laughs> so I always had to get these, like, $100 patches thankfully now it's it's way cheaper and uh, my insurance now is even better yeah so i had access to that i'd never like a i I was also grateful enough to have parents that were willing to help me um with early on like uh options for grs and whatnot so yeah yeah um yeah but that was important because of the kidney situation um like without that uh, the high doses that you're on prior to yeah. is a big factor in potential kidney damage. So yeah, like post um, post surgery, you you can take less estrogen. Yes. You know, you don't need to because yes. you aren't yeah. offsetting the androgens. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, in that regard, I had a, a lot of privilege. Um, like anything, like I looked at doing beyond that um, didn't happen until much later when I had uh, like insurance through employment that covered stuff. Um, hmm. Because back then insurance didn't cover things like GRS, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So for for me, like, uh, like I transitioned in college. Um, so when I left college, I didn't have to deal with having to transition in a workplace yeah. and whatnot. So there was less of that, and I mean, for the most part, I have a bit of this passing privilege, and I know that has made things easier for me. Yeah. So, yeah. And I recognize that. And um, this is another reason why I tend to be more open about being trans because I firmly believe that, like, I need to be. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But on top of that, like, I I know in the, the, the work that I do and the visibility that I have that people do look up to me. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. And... I view that as a pretty big responsibility. Mm-hmm. So, while I don't necessarily broadcast transness on my social medias, I know people know uh, know this yeah. about me regardless. Yeah. And I know people are looking up to me, and I want to make sure that they have that person to look up to. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a big thanks from a whole community of young trans people <laughs> for all the good work, which is, you know, very valuable these days. Um, what I've been ending these chats with are um, discussions about the phrase trans joy, which I've come across lately, and I really love it. And it really resonated with me when I first heard that term. 
If you could summarise what trans joy might mean for you, you know, what it, it means something completely different for all sorts of different people for different reasons. So, Gosh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, and I really haven't thought about it much. Um, maybe it's finding uh, things that fit me and flatter me well. <laughs> that yeah, brings yeah. me trans joy. Um, <laughs> Most definitely. Like I remember... Uh, Right at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I was in the best shape of my life, and I saw this dress that uh, I ended up, like, I, it was on the cover of this, like, clothing um, catalog, and I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I'm like, this is going to look terrible on me, but I love it. Uh, I'm just going to order it. <laughs> so I order it, and then, and then it arrives, and I put it on, and I'm like, holy crap, this this doesn't look this like rocks. crap. This looks like, this is amazing. This is the best dress I've ever owned in my life. Um, and I think it's very validating for me personally, because I don't know about uh, anyone else, but I still deal with like body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. So I assume I look a certain way. Um, and like, this might be shocking, but when people look at me, like, my first thought is um, they're looking at me because I'm hideous. Uh, and then I have to like consciously go, no, mm -hmm. you know better than that. Um, that's not why they're looking at you. So when I uh, have a situation where I can actually see through that body dysmorphia, um, it is... It's not even necessarily trans joy. It is just like joy. Um, I was going to say that, that, that definition translates so much to a lot of cis women <laughs> who are going to be listening yes. to this going, yes, 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 that. yes. <laughs> so that's yes. good. I love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on the, I guess on the trans side, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's just my community. Yeah. Because I have a number of trans friends here um, and the queer community in general uh, online. I have a bunch of people on Facebook um, and Instagram and Mastodon, um, and seeing other people, um, express their, their joys also brings me joy. So yeah, I guess there's that. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Jessica, for spending the last hour with me. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and it's given me so many things to think about, which is the joy of doing this podcast. Huzzah! Podcast joy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this was a lot of fun, and uh, when you asked, I was like, of course, of course I'm going to do that. So oh, great. Uh, I've been wanting to meet you anyway. Yeah. Uh, I had been in the UK a year ago, and we didn't get the chance to meet. So Another time is going to happen. Yes, uh, I do have intentions of heading back over there at some point. Amazing. So. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Wow, what a woman. Thank you so much, Jessica, for catching up with me. It was so good to talk to you, and I think you've left us all with plenty to think about. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, don't forget to follow or subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening. And I will see you next time for the last Trans Talks for the moment. Thanks for listening. Bye.